voice. Daniel Maran! Wonderful! Fantastic from Royce. Jude Bellingham, that's excellent. Jude Bellingham, this is absolutely brilliant. Jude Bellingham! Absolutely magnificent! Rina, brilliant from the American. Just like that. Best of clearances! Oh, what a volley! Matt Hummels! Grant in for Holland! Mike has never been away! The man in front of goal who is simply deadly! Right, the Bundesliga is back, and we're back with another episode of the, the BBB Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Jake. Carver is with me as always. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, thank you. And we have a very, very special guest today on the show. We have Stefan Bosco. He is a well-respected journalist among BVB fans across the globe. He's the co-author of the book, There is Only One Borussia, which can be found on his Twitter, at Stefan Bosco. He is also, of course, the creator of the famous Yellow Wall Pod, and now has a new series on his YouTube where he gives daily updates on the insights of the ins and outs of the club. Stefan, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much for that tea-up. However, I'm not the creator of the Yellow Wall Pod. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, got that's that Matthias Zouk. I, oh. I joined around episode four or so, but I'm the host of the Yellow Wall Pod by now, since Matthias is lazy and doesn't want to do it. So <laughs> this, this is sticking with me. So, uh, hey, Jake. Hey, hey, oh, hey. You also have to, have to edit this, or do you just have host and then cover does the rest? Uh, Carver, I mean, if you've listened to, I mean, our podcast for a while, then you know Carver... I, I just sit here. I kind of record it, and Carver. I just let Carver rip. Like everyone just is here for Carver. So, no. <laughs> it's a team effort. It's a team effort. Chef, I'm really happy to have you on. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Uh, well, I guess not your show now, but <laughs> um, I used to work night shifts a few years back, and that's whenever I first listened to your guys' show. And by like the fir- third episode, I was singing along, just episode after episode, knocking them out on my uh, night shifts, and. Yeah, I've been a fan since. So thank you so much for giving us the time to be on the show. Yeah, well, thank you for listening, to be honest. This is sort of my mission since the Yellow World Pod started is to bring the Holy Gospel out and spread it to the world. Uh, you know, obviously, I was also working for ESPN at some point, and uh, I sort of started to have a more professional endeavor. Um, but really, it was always, for whatever reason, my mission to, uh, you know, put it into English language uh, and, uh, yeah, inform other people because obviously in Germany there are so many news outlets where you can get the news about Borussia Dortmund but if you're not from Germany and said the United States especially like 10 years ago there was very few English content out there Borussia Dortmund had not even had a a English Twitter account stuff like that so uh, it was a bit of a wilderness so that's where I thought okay this might be my niche and uh, you know I I love connecting with fans from all around the world and uh, so, yeah, now, now I'm, uh, I don't know if this is my official press tour, but uh, now I've started uh, <laughs> at the beginning of July, the B4B update. Uh, it's a YouTube channel uh, within the Yellow Wall YouTube channel. And uh, basically, I just give a daily roundup of, of news. Uh, so nowadays, I think it's much easier for Dortmund fans to get those news. But uh, nevertheless, I still thought, uh, you know, why not? Why not start this? And obviously, it's a it's a lot of work. So everyone listening, please uh, go to the yellow wall on YouTube and subscribe so I can be happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, and we'll, we'll definitely link that. But I mean, as you said, it's and why we appreciate you and all the work you've done, too, because like as Dortmund supporters in America, it, it has always been hard 
to stay up to date precisely. Even as we're doing this show, it's kind of like I'll jump on Twitter and it's like, well, I hope I find some news today. Sometimes you don't know what's going to be there or, or not. So yeah. yeah, it's good having that, especially now that you're doing that YouTube thing. That's a daily mm-hmm. thing. It's a good te- you, it's, it's a good landing page. Like you know where to go to have like a source for Dortmund news. Yeah, and they're short videos too. You can just so the listeners you can just kind of pop those videos in your mouth as you go, and you know they're not yeah. time consuming or anything like that. And, and, I, and I would recommend listening it on one and a half speed, to be honest, because <laughs> I'm not that fast of a talker. So uh, if I I edit it on, on on two times the speed because that's uh, all I can on the uh, on the software before I you know become in- incoherent but uh yeah that's sort of my my recommendation one and a half speed is probably the best on youtube thankfully modern technology allows you that and just watch watch the ads let him yeah. watch the ads all the way through Roll in well, the not, that yet, way. not yet I, I think uh youtube lets you monetize it once you have a thousand subscribers so before you watch the ad just hit the subscribe button that would help <laughs> but We're- enough about me and uh, the press tour let's talk about Borussia Dortmund Channel. oh yeah oh, your Bundesliga started yeah, this week yeah. it? kind of a big week so yeah um yeah so but I mean, on top of the, the game, which we are going to recap our Leverkusen game, we're going to preview our next game against Freiburg. We got a bunch of Twitter questions. Thanks for everyone who uh, reached out asking some questions, which we'll get into. We got to talk about this this signing news first, though. We got a almost kind of like a bonus signing that we, I think originally this guy definitely wasn't on our list of a signing for the summer, but uh, we're here now uh, with the all the hauler news and what's been going on there. Um, again, hopefully we'll have him back later in the year. But for now, we just signed uh, Modest from FC Köln. Yeah, yeah. I actually watched uh, your update just yesterday, Stefan, of uh, just some different things you were breaking down from his stats. And you know, we talked already about the kind of just the different aerial threat he's going to be. Um, I mentioned on that site he was in the 82, 82nd percentile for aerials one. But another stat that I thought was pretty interesting also is he's in the 84th percentile in shots that lay, that lead to another shot. So he's going to be another one of those strikers, again, that can get in the box and be physical presence, but open up more opportunities for the people around him. And we have, you know, what looks like countless people now um, on different on, on either wing to go and hopefully bag some goals and take some of that pressure off of him and Mukoko. And Stefan, did you have any, besides your, like your video, but what are your thoughts on Modest coming in? Do you think it's going to be a... Benefit. Uh, I know we had some yeah. Twitter questions <laughs> specifically mm-hmm. um, about people questioning if he's like the right fit or not. But I mean, it's a guy coming in who's a striker and scores goals. And I even I think Dorman put out the video where uh, I watched it today uh, as we're recording on Tuesday, and <laughs> just the caption I saw was like, "I'm here to score goals." Yeah. I was like, "Yep, cool, <laughs> come on in." <laughs> yeah, that, that's all you had to say. Basically, it's like, "Yeah, that's my job." So uh, let's go. <laughs> yeah, no. What what I really like about Modest, obviously, is uh, if you um, juxtapose it with, uh, say, Cavani's stats, is that he played a lot of games last season. Unlike Cavani, for example, who I think was sort of the um, option or plan B that uh, Dortmund had if the Modest thing fell through. And uh, Kiel said today that he is uh, in top fit shape and uh, that he is uh, sort of ready to go, that he can handle the intensity. And uh, yeah, I think the the stats are 32 games and 31 starts last season. And of course, in that he scored 20 goals for Cologne, which is impressive because Cologne do not create as many chances as other teams. Obviously, um, what I'm really looking forward to is how Dortmund will adjust because Obviously, uh, aerial threat is, you know, his main thing, if you will. And uh, who is going to play in the crosses? Um, for example, in the Leverkusen game, we saw uh, Hazard when he replaced Adeyemi that he had a lot of half-field crosses into the box. 
and also from uh, the side of the box, sort of from the wing. And uh, there was literally no one there. <laughs> the boy just uh, went either to Khadetsky or uh, just, you know, into the wilderness. But uh, I think uh, going forward, and especially if Adeyemi isn't uh, available against Freiburg, then uh, maybe Azar can play these balls a little bit more often. And then you have a player, a target man, who then can just head these uh, home. Because um, if there's one big strength that Modest has, it is that he can generate a lot of power if he is motioning to motioning away from goal. And, uh, you know, that has caught a lot of goalkeepers off guard. Um, SF to Köln have published a nice compilation of all 20 goals of, uh, or Bundesliga goals on YouTube. And I watched this back and forth like two or three times. And, uh, yeah, I think 15 goals or so I didn't count, uh, are all headers. And, uh, yeah, you can see that he's, uh, natural goal scorer because he does have the instinct and uh, yeah Sebastian Kehl also said today that he is added I think under Baumgart the uh, natural uh, pressing ability that he has that he is uh, you know become a bit more intelligent when it comes uh, to defending or playing against the ball because this is certainly not one of his main strengths and uh, yeah I really do wonder how Dortmund are going to ease him into the side because obviously uh, there is no preseason now and he will be sort of thrown into the deep end and with that, uh, yeah, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Obviously, we don't know how it's going to work out, but I think from all the options and circumstances, this is by far the best one. And uh, if I may add one last point, um, I'm also really happy that Dortmund now have formulated a philosophy where they said we want a tall number nine up front, no Suarez or any other players of that profile. We want our target man, and Eden Tessic has his set up for this and this is how we're going to play and so Dortmund are not screwing around uh, with uh, variables but they have a plan and they follow it and I think this is uh, the first thing that needs to happen when you propose a club philosophy so the thing or the fact that they're doing it now makes me personally very happy. Yeah you hit the nail right on the head like you said already having a plan and actually going through with it as opposed to what seems like the vast majority of other clubs around Europe who are struggling to make really any sort of signing to plug up, you know, some really gaping holes. But we've we've made some real attempts at, you know, uh, tackling any different area of the pitch you could look at almost uh, from front to back. And going back also, I know you mentioned throwing to the Wolves. That it's going to be also interesting to see how he performs in the Champions League. I know he, in a few different interviews, he seems really excited to play in a competition that he's never been in before. And... It'll be interesting to see who we can uh, who we can draw into the Champions League for our group stage <laughs> this year too. I'm, I'm hoping he can you know not carry us but bring us to the um, past the group stage this year too. I know Jake, you were excited to see hopefully a good Champions League run, which he's going to be a massive help in that aspect. Yeah, yeah, and even let's say Haller gets back sooner rather than later, like that's kind of what we need mm-hmm. if we want to be competitive in the Bundesliga and the Champions League specifically, like. I think just watching this, this first game and seeing how this all played out with Haller and having to bring in Modest now, it's like maybe we should have brought in two strikers in this situation because you see other clubs, like the real power clubs in the Champions League, like the guys who make runs, like Man City, Liverpool, like they have that that depth. And I think that's one thing I would really notice this weekend that we yeah, don't... Yeah, or non-power clubs in the Champions League yeah. like Leverkusen, who also had three yeah. strikers mm-hmm. in that game. And it, it's just like, I think looking at this lineup specifically in a match, thinking like, oh man, we... We don't have the depth, like we don't have the depth that we need to be competitive in three different, three different com- competitions. Yeah. So. And and it, uh, before Modest too. I mean, 
uh, pending the uh, the Haller situation, we didn't really have the versatility either in our attack. We had a lot of small, pacey, younger wingers, but uh, we didn't have really, you know, the, the veterans up top and the people who knew to get the job done and, again, bringing that physical presence into our attack. So it's going to bring some dynamism. It's going to bring some versat- uh, versatility and, yeah, bag in a whole bunch of goals. Excited. Um, I don't know if no, I'm going to ask it now. I don't know if I want to ask it while we – for our preview, but do you think he'll jump right in and start this uh, next game against Freiburg or maybe sub in, play like 30 minutes, 20 minutes? Nah, I no. think it's going to be a sub, but uh, I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again. Maybe he will start, <laughs> but uh, I think it's more likely that he will come on in the 70th minute for Mokoko or maybe someone else. Maybe we'll have a two-headed attack, which can also yeah. happen now. Exciting, <laughs> exciting times. <laughs> I mean, I've asked for a backup strikers since Adrian Ramos I think it was uh, but Dortmund for the longest time only had one number nine and that was it and when the number nine was injured you had to go to I don't know for example Tigges or so which yeah. uh, you know considering the size of Borussia Dortmund in club football it is almost inconceivable that they never really have a formidable number uh, two striker and uh, I think with Modest you know I wouldn't have not been too unhappy if it were a two-year deal instead of a one-year deal and they would have said, okay, we're just going to try to keep you alongside Alea for a longer time, even though obviously um, the use of a Mukoko contract extension is a bit of a politicum right now. Yeah. So Dortmund are trying to uh, you know, signal him every which way that uh, it is safe to extend. We really want and plan with you, uh, but still, it's, uh, you know... <laughs> It's, it's really annoying. So even if they do not extend with Modest at the end of the year uh, and Alea's back and uh, Mokoko is around, I still think there should be yet another striker of that profile. Yeah. But, you know, we could have used your last episode because I know Adam was asking. Uh, we, we were both stumped. Adam and I were thinking about who was the backup to Aubameyang seven or so years ago. And we were sitting <laughs> yeah, there for like... To this. I'm like, Ramos, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, of course it's Adrian Ramos. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was going to just seeing the news. I don't know if it was yesterday, today, probably the last few days. I'm always, this always happens to me. Like I see stuff and I'm not keeping track of winner. Anyways, Timo Werner, do you think we should have like went for him? Was there any interest in him or that was what I mentioned over the summer? I'll say, I'll answer that one for you. I mean, you said that earlier, but Timo Werner and I'm so glad he joined Leipzig because I think he's going to make them worse. Yeah, <laughs> he's a terrible striker, and he is only going to eat in the time of Christopher Nkunku, who's their best player. Yeah, this transfer makes zero sense on paper. The only way it makes sense is that RB Leipzig are way too rich for their own good, <laughs> have unlimited resources, and are just throwing money around because they want to establish themselves as the number two in Germany, which obviously goes very much on my nerves. Uh, if I'm frank, uh, that this, uh, you know. Disgrace of a club, if you want to even call it that, uh, is uh, you know annoying us uh, in the Bundesliga. But uh, yeah, it's I'm. You, you might be concerned about a lot of Leipzig moves, and maybe Timo Werner makes me eat my own words. But I don't think he's that great. I think he lacks the footballing IQ to become a great striker. And whenever I see him in the shirt of the German national team, I have to roll my eyes because he screws so many things up. It's incredible. So, uh, yeah, obviously it's no surprise that it didn't work out at Chelsea because they have actually some ambition. Yeah, I wonder if those last year and a half, two years of him in London is going to really just 
take that much of a toll of his confidence and he's not going to be able to regain much any of any form back in the Bundesliga. It's going to be interesting to see, but yeah, life, I also saw, I think it was like maybe 20 million that Leipzig spent for him as well, which I don't know. doesn't, I know he's not the, the, you know, one of the best players, but um, it seems like I think compared to what Chelsea paid for him, usually Chelsea the other way around, they're kind of flipping young players for a lot more money. So I, that fee just kind of raised some eyebrows at me. Yeah, what's probably going to even raise more eyebrows, and I haven't seen the number yet, is his uh, annual salary because that is probably going. Yeah, to I didn't be, see that. Uh, in the in a sphere where he, he might be making more than Marco Reus at this point, I don't exactly know if it's maybe ten, eleven million or so, uh, but I'm pretty sure he did not uh, want to take a significant pay cut, and I'm pretty sure if uh, Leipzig are able to pay Chelsea wages, then uh, this is going to be a giant waste of money. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that either. I wonder what his salary is going to be like. All right, sorry for getting us on that uh, topic, guys. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep things moving. Uh, so, and, yeah, there was also a football game. I might, might there was also, yeah, also the start of the Bundesliga season. Um, yeah, so I was going to ask you, first of all, Stefan, like, I know you're, so you're based in Philly, you live in Philly? Yeah. What's your game-watching scenario? Because Carver went to our local uh, place here in St. Louis called the Amsterdam Tavern with our uh, local Brucean uh, fan club. And I know he, uh, well, I texted Carver and asked him something about the game and he's like, I need to rewatch it. Cause I had quite a few drinks. So what, what's your uh, game day scenario over in well, Philly? I wake up and I schlep myself down the stairs onto the couch and I turn on the TV and that's about it. <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I don't want to make myself sound like I drink too much, but I, I genuinely, I do the exact same thing 99% of times. And even whenever I do go to that, uh, to the bar of the fan club, I don't drink much, but I had, I had a friend with me that doesn't watch soccer much at all. So I was making sure he was having a good time and it just, we just kept throwing drinks back and forth. And I was like, man, I need to watch this again. I mean, it's the start of the season. It's like Christmas. You got to go all out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, going into the, the lineups for this one, I feel like every source that I saw, anywhere from like just our apps, ESPN, anywhere you could look, there was like different formations that the sources had up. But from my, from what I was looking at, it looked like more like a four, two, three, one, maybe at times with the dropping back in between the center halves, like as like a four, three, three. Um, were you surprised at all to see Hummel starting here, Stefan, or? No, it was the lineup I predicted in the B4B update. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Carver, didn't you watch it? Come on, man. <laughs> for, for once, for once, a correct prediction. Uh, no, I was not surprised because I think it worked out so well against 1860 Munich um, that there was very little reason to change it around. And uh, I think if you put out a back five, then uh, the chances of uh, getting counterattacked to shreds is actually significantly higher because as Dortmund have shown in the friendlies before is that the back three lacks the rhythm and the chemistry for it to really work because the offside trap just will collapse all the time and uh, with that I think Dortmund would be too vulnerable so I think the lineup that uh, Tessic put out there was the right one but uh, then again he also didn't have too many other options you know Ashan still injured uh, Alea obviously out and, uh, you know, Adeyemi, Schlotterbeck, the only two new signings available to you. So, um, yeah, that was always going to be the lineup, I felt. And uh, I am i don't know about you guys. I'm really interested to see what you say. But I thought that Dortmund, except for maybe the first five minutes, uh, because at the kickoff, Leverkusen just had the ball. And we're like, you know, we're just going to lump yeah. it up to you guys and see what <laughs> you do with it. And we're going to press you as high as possibly mm -hmm. as we possibly can. But um, 
you know, once Dortmund settled into the game after two, three minutes, um, I thought they were really superb given that it was the first match day and they had a very patchy preseason. Exactly. I thought the exact same. I mean, I imagine they were probably trying that just because they were like, I mean, hey, with Akanji and Zagadil, we were able to get however many in the first 15 minutes. We could just try that again. But, you know, with having the the new signing of Schlotterbeck and as well as a veteran like Hummels who can help organize that defense, it, it looked like we were able to grow ourselves into the game pretty quick and use the energy of the stadium just... And also having Terzic on the sidelines, I mean, I think that is a massive help of keeping the energy up and keeping the motivation up and, you know, uh, weathering that storm at least a little bit better than what we've seen in the recent past uh, to, you know, go in and score in, what was it, the 10th minute, I think it was? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and then at, I, I think the place st- not started, but towards the end, it, you saw Mukoko in the box before he crossed that over. And I know one of the bigger criticisms of Mukoko has been I mean, not only his age, but it's just his, his size as well. And I'm not saying that he's going to be, you know, that physical presence that we need or anything like that. But I still think in the last year or so, he's getting a little stronger and he's becoming a little smarter in those situations. I mean, he was able to hold off that uh, center back and, and uh, get that cross in, which is not easy to do. I mean, I think the other center back was 6'3", if I'm not uh, mistaken. So that was a, it was a good way to, you know, hold up the ball and, and get the ball to over to Adeyemi, who I thought was going to be able to place that in the net pretty easily. But everyone just sitting there waiting like, uh, and then Royce finally tapped it in. Yeah, it was a, actually a pretty poor finish by Adeyemi, if yeah. you really think about it, because uh, the, the the fact that he even hit Khadetsky there uh, was just very poor placement. I mm-hmm. think uh, with the time and space you have, he should probably just shoot a little higher. <laughs> yeah, and put it on his stronger foot too. I think he took that with his right, so... No, I, I think taking it first time was the right idea. You just uh, need to be a bit more precise. But maybe yeah. I'm a little bit over critical here. But I think overall, what we can say about this goal is, first of all, Bellingham's tenacity mm-hmm. to poke it away from Leverkusen. And uh, then this uh, beautiful pass uh, by Mukoko. You know, I think he got a lot of critics for this game. But, uh, you know, that assist, basically, if... You know, Adeyemi goals. Adeyemi scores directly. Uh, is is pretty darn good, and I think the um, overall positioning in the box by Dortmund players and how they spread out is really good because Adeyemi was really in the right place at the right time, and this is exactly uh, what Tersic wants, and uh, makes me very happy because uh, I think that way Dortmund can score a lot of goals. Yeah, it was beautifully weighted by Mukoko, and I'm not trying to shit on Rosa too much, but it feels like already that. <laughs> the players just have like actual ideas when we get into their final third. Unlike last year, I feel like we are, you know, having a pretty decent job of building up half the time, but then we kind of get in that final third and then just looking at each other. Like I have no idea really what to do, but we have so many different options on the wings and players making runs and the pace and the power and the accuracy of uh, our attackers is, is it is a dangerous threat. I mean, even without uh, at uh, that central striker that we've been lacking before Modeste. Yeah, I think, I mean, overall, like, it was a great team goal. Like you said, Jude, uh, like, fighting through to win the ball back. And then was it to Malin, who then put it to Makoku, who also had to fight off that defender and mm-hmm. somehow got around to put, uh, cross it over to Adiyemi, which was, I almost, I like, I feel bad for Adiyemi because in the, the cup game, too, he had that, the goal that wasn't that, yeah, that was wasn't not that great. great of a goal. And th- this one was very similar. And, I mean, l- luckily, Royce ran in there to tap it in. Mm-hmm. I, because it might have been a known goal. I don't know if it was going to go in or not. I know they showed the replay like 10 times, but yeah, I kind of feel bad for him. But also, like, dude, just put it like, put it a little higher, put it to the left more. Yeah. Like, come on. But 
I, I'm talk uh, about positioning because Marco Reus was also in a position yep. to immediately yeah. follow it up. So um, I, I think overall the structure of that attack alone is just uh, really great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the rest of the first half is pretty decent, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, uh, some things we need to work on. Uh, but I thought, again, we looked a little bit more stable. I, I love the energy and the, uh, the tenacity that we had. I mean, the, the pressing alone looked like it was like a team effort, which I'd, we talked about countless times last season. Of uh, It just looked like more of an individual effort. And even at those instances, it looked just like half-assed. But, it, you know, people are, or the players are like buying into this philosophy from Terzic and, and actually wanting to go out and compete and uh, going to go actually win and not just letting the game come to them, which uh, it's, it's a pleasant surprise. Yeah, it was purposeful football for over 90 minutes, mm -hmm. I would say. And that is, to me, the biggest change and maybe the biggest credit I have for Tessic right now. Because, as you said, the cohesion was there. The will was there and also the follow through was there, which uh, resulted in a lot of fouls by Leverkusen. Um, I mean, just uh, think about Hinkapi. I think the Leverkusen fullback had three or four fouls at least uh, that could have led to an injury. I mean, he yeah. did injure Adeyemi right away. Then he stepped on his other foot uh, a yeah. couple of minutes later. And uh, he also stepped on Royce's heel. And there were just so many moments where Leverkusen players were just that one little step too late. And because Dortmund are, you know, a little bit quicker uh, mentally and physically. And so... To me, if we, you know, <laughs> compare Tessic's time to to the, you know, last remnants of uh, the Rose era, uh, which maybe it's not a fair comparison just yet because literally just one match day is played. But I think the energy was changed. Uh, the atmosphere in the stadium was electric. And uh, as you said, the um, the pressing looked coherent. And Dortmund looked like they had a plan, even if uh, they had to take a lot of pressure from Leverkusen at times. It never really felt like they were going to break down any second. Yeah, and again, going back to uh, Schlotterbeck as well. I mean, I know he had two kind of uh, relatively almost costly mistakes in this mm -hmm. game, but I just had a lot of monstrous tackles. I, I loved how what, he what was... What do you mean two? What's that? The two mistakes? What, what's the second one? He had, uh, well, of course, he gave the ball away, and then, oh my goodness, now I'm blanking. A, I feel like there was a couple times, I don't know when they were specifically, but well, there was a couple you, slide tackles. What you're tackles. blanking on is the own goal he scored. Yeah, yeah. yeah but but I, I had that written down too, you know, a little little rant on Schlotterbeck, how everyone is in love with him, but, uh, you know, if he could also lose Dortmund the game. But mm -hmm. I rewatched the game as well today, and what I saw for that own goal moment is that he actually jumped, uh, you know, to I think Asmun was it, um, to to um, I don't know if it was Asmun, but whoever it was might have been Schick, um, but to um, put the player offside. So he moved mm -hmm, away yeah. from goal. He had the awareness to step. So his recovery was a little bit poorer. But I think he knew that he put this Leverkusen attacker, whoever it was, offside, and thus just tried to clear it wherever because he knew he just had to end the play, and that yeah. was it. So um. He, you know, you can say it was a mistake, but really, if you look at the situation, I would actually not count it because uh, he was switched on and was in the, what, 80th minute or so around that time, uh, you know, had the awareness to put his uh, opponent offside. And for that, he actually deserves praise. Yeah. So he had one crucial mistake, Yeah. I would say, that uh, Dahoud then really had with and led to another Dortmund chance in the uh, counterattack, so to speak. There were... 
the, yeah, back to, I mean, on that, I remember seeing the, the replay of that too, where they show him jumping mm-hmm. off, where he, like, he knows exactly what's going on. He's watching the ball, and you see him jump like a good, like, the dude's like a good four, four or five feet offside. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that was like genius by him and to be fully switched on that late in the game. There were a couple times where um, he, I think he came in a little late on some tackles or missed some slide tackles, but I think he also made up for that in so many other ways too. There, like I think early on in the game, maybe a couple missed tackles here and there. I was a little concerned, a little worried. I'm like, he, maybe he just... Yeah, uh, he didn't look just as patient towards the end. Uh, he had like a, a missed slide tackle kind of near the, the halfway line. But I, again, I, I love how he's always proactive with a, uh, not only the offsides call, but just everything in general. He's always He's very alert uh, compared to... I mean, really, you could think of like any center back of ours in the last few years. I mean, Hummels has his mental lapses. Zagadou <laughs> definitely has his mental lapses. Akanji has his mental lapses. Can we, can we please l- talk about Mats Hummels when Patrick Schick had his first really big chance with where he just shot a right at Kobe where Mats Hummels like spreads out his arms to signal that the <laughs> this, the play is over. And then in his back, Patrick Schick emerges and like hits the ball straight at the keeper. Like, I'm sorry, Mats, but that is pretty atrocious right there. That's <laughs> not a good special awareness yeah. and where your opponent is. That's... uh. It's a little sad. Yeah. All, I mean, all three of them in the, in the last few years, and you can keep going down the line even, but uh, Schlotterbeck looks like one of those players who can stay um, just concentrated for those full 90 minutes and be alert, be aware, and be proactive and make sure and making sure, you know, uh, you can put out those kind of fires. I mean, think on that, the missed tackle, like at the halfway line that you're talking about too, he also made a real big effort to get back yeah. in the box, which is something I, I don't think we've necessarily seen from our center backs before mm-hmm. um, and and the second he recovers he's also just firing up the crowd too and everything which again yeah. that keeps the energy up and that keeps everyone uh, just keeps out that tenacity going i, think I remember well. i remember multiple times seeing zagadu get beat like at the 18 and just stopping mm-hmm. like so slaughterback missing a, a tackle at that halfway line and still getting back into the 18 was like phenomenal to see so yeah, can we please talk about the bromance between Gregor Kobel and Nico Schlotterbeck? <laughs> I think this needs to be addressed right here. Yeah. Because it's obviously a, a budding friendship at the minimum, if not love story, because they are very similar when it comes to fist pumps. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when it's... <laughs> don't, don't, don't get that in the wrong way. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you were laughing. Uh, but uh, no... They uh, they like to uh, pump each other up uh, yeah. and hype each other up uh, in in a very special way. I think also very late in the game when Schlotterbeck had this one sliding tackle where he uh, won a goal kick from it, and then he you know waited for the linesman and then he fist pumped, and then you know the whole stadium got going off that. It's it's amazing, mm-hmm. and obviously it's so much more than just the game if you have this interaction between him. And the fans, and obviously Gregor Kobel, mm-hmm. very similar. When uh, Dahoud had this monster tackle, you see him in the background, yeah, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. going nuts over it. So uh, I think um, those two players are uh, sort of, <laughs> I don't know, destined to uh, you know, share this sort of emotion. And if I, if I can add to that and make almost like a love triangle, I forgot until a few weeks ago that Sule and Kobel were in, at Hoffenheim years back. So I mean... Again, those three really building, continue to build that partnership of um, at the back, and just they just players like Schlotterbeck and Kobel and Jude. You can go down the line; they just ooze charisma, and like you were saying before, constantly uh, just firing up the fans. And I mean that goes a long way. That 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 keeps their, your team going for all ninety minutes instead of being gassed coming out of the second half, which you know happened a handful of times last year too. So, yeah, I think. Everyone should do themselves a favor because I rewatched the game today 
and just skip to the 84th, 85th minute or so, and every Dortmund fan in that stadium is on their feet, and the atmosphere is just off the charts great. And, you, you know, it was, a, it was a moment where Dortmund sort of switched to a back five and uh, went into cruise control yeah. of the game, and it was not like they were trying to uh, steamroll Leverkusen at that moment. But nevertheless, you could feel the appreciation the fans had for the effort that already uh, unfolded for the previous 85 or so minutes. And uh, I think this is um, the euphoria that I now have for the rest of the season because you can just sense it. You know, you can feel that pretty much every Dortmund fan is excited about what is to come, even though there are so many complications around. Yeah, and and I know, Stefan, you've experienced it before, but any listener who uh, has heard about the atmosphere at Dortmund before but hasn't gone and experienced it for themselves, I mean, I had expectations building for over a decade, and when I finally got the chance to finally go to a game, I, w- I was honestly nervous. I was like, I mean, I've bu- it's been building up in my head for over 10 years. Like, is it going to be able to meet those expectations? You know, it's, is it going to be that fun? And it it just shattered absolutely <laughs> everything I could possibly think of. I was on cloud nine for the entire time before I went way before the game, I stayed for way after the game and it just, it felt like a, like a 10 minute ordeal. It was, it was just an unbelievable blast. So like you said before, it's just an electric atmosphere and, and that does so much for the team on the field. Carver's I, trying to get his uh, tickets covered. I actually, you know what? Did I actually, get I, I did get my tickets. <laughs> okay, I did get my tickets. Yeah. I lost nice. the, the original raffle and I, and I was sitting there refreshing. I shit you not for, I don't know how many hours on the went end and days on end waiting for the vertebrae tickets to go on the resale and they popped up and I was just like spamming my credit card info and I was like I got two tickets um anyway yeah, so you're charged 500 times now but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that being said I need I need a lot of money from you both <laughs> um uh yeah so just uh, touch on if just a few things from the second half I uh, had a really good chance early on to you go even further ahead I don't know how Hazard doesn't put that away uh with the chance that Mullen had across goal had a great job. I mean, he's known for his tenacity as well, you know, getting the ball in the box. And um, But it's a beautiful cross in right across goal. And I just, I don't understand how that doesn't end up in the back of the net. And it could be, you know, two, two nil up and um, not going to be on cruise control going into that moment. But it definitely eases some nerves because I know the pressure just slowly built for those, you know, whatever, 20, 25 minutes of the second half for a while. With this game, um, there, I think there are a lot of moments where I like I expected more and I wanted a lot more and I get it's early and I, I was just kind of thinking back to preseason and thinking like do I don't know if we had necessarily the best preseason I know losing to those uh, was it Valencia? Spanish teams two Spanish teams that's better than me getting the names wrong Valencia and Villarreal <laughs> probably I'm probably wrong on that um, and then because we lost to those two teams and then the other teams we played were just like lower. Division. Do you think that was any hindrance to us overall? Because I just feel like it was a bit of a slow start. Like we had good moments, and we, I, I felt like the team was more stable in the back, especially like we weren't going to give anything up. But I was wanted to ask you guys specifically, like, do you guys have any concerns with that? Do you think we're going to get rolling later, like as we progress in the season, or was it just a slow start? Or what are your guys' thoughts? Uh, uh, yeah, it's it is a slow start. I think uh, it's going to be rocky. And uh, not that clear defined what uh, Dortmund are doing on the field for, uh, you know, a lot of games. I I think all of August, probably September too, it's going to pretty going to be pretty patchy. I don't expect them to play the most magnificent football that they are capable of anytime soon, to be honest. Um, but it's okay because 
if they play like they did against Leverkusen, then uh, you see that the basics are there and that you have a foundation that you can build on. That is much more important than when you can dazzle one opponent, let's say 5-2 to two, like Dortmund did against Frankfurt last season in the opener, but then um, you turn around and you, you look uh, pretty abject because uh, you know you do not defend the way you must or other things like that. So um, I'm I'm okay with that. That was sort of my expectation going into this anyway. I was not expecting Dortmund to win that game, if I'm entirely honest, because Leverkusen are just much further ahead in their development. They kept their team much more together than Dortmund, and uh, they had much more of a flow in the preseason as well. Um, obviously, <laughs> Leverkusen crashing out of the cup yeah, might have round. changed <laughs> my approach uh, somewhat, but uh, nevertheless, I still thought that Leverkusen overall played a very good game, and uh, you could almost, almost make the case that they might have deserved a point out of this game, but then again, their uh, club backed by Bayer, the pharma company, so the, they did not even yeah. deserve to be in the league <laughs> in the first place, so... Yeah. Um, but uh, more, more importantly, um, what I appreciate about this game overarchingly, and I think Schlotterbeck said it too after the game, is that you do not have to have all this possession and uh, control the opponent from start to finish because uh, I, I have it somewhere um, in the uh, last game. Where was it? Uh, I think Dortmund had... Yeah, they had 64 possession in that 5-2 loss and they had 45 this time around. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm perfectly content with that. Yeah, I noticed that as well. It's one of the few times in the last, what seems like, calendar year or so that we haven't dominated in possession. And going back into, of, uh, you know, not having the most uh, promi- or not promising, but convincing performance, first of all, it's, it also, I mean, it's, it doesn't help that we have like a really tough schedule for the most part for the next like two months. I mean, granted, we have Werder Bremen and, and uh, Hertha. But after that, I mean, you're looking at Leipzig, then you have Schalke, then you have Köln, then you have Bayern, then you have Union Berlin. I mean, the, it's, it's a lot of really solid competition coming up. And again, it's going to take time. It's going to take time for these players to gel. It's going to take time for us to, or for the team to uh, continue to learn the philosophy. Because it's, you know, again, we recycle through how many countless coaches in the last few years. So, you know, there's bits of uh, the last few coaches uh, in the squad still. So, you know, working the errors out and just moving forward. I yeah. mean, who knows how the situation is going to be with all the injuries that Dortmund might yeah, that too. Yeah. pick up. See, this is uh, obviously a, a massive problem that's not entirely ironed out uh, as for now. Obviously, it would have been amazing if Ötchan was around because I think um, he would uh, play a very prominent role and obviously you want to see how Niklas Zule will fare. Um, but again, this is match day one and I think we should just appreciate that Dortmund got three points off Bayer Leverkusen who were along with Leipzig, the hottest team of the Rückrunde and also our direct opponent for the Champions League spots. So these three points are already massive for Dortmund. And whatever comes next doesn't... Obviously, it matters, but uh, to have this already in the books and have the start that Dortmund have, because also 180 minutes of football, zero goals conceded. You know, yep. we can all sit here and discuss that Leverkusen could have scored two goals with Patrick Schick. Yeah, of course, but uh, they didn't. And Dortmund have a good goalkeeper... So um, I'm I'm just very happy because Dortmund did limit limit Leverkusen in this game to eight shots and three on targets, which is half of the amount of shots that Leverkusen had in the five-two win or loss, however you want to see it. So um, I think obviously the result dictates the narrative here, but I think we can be very happy with how it all worked out. 
Yeah. Yeah, to touch on the end, too, we got the clean sheet, too, which, you know, a lot of fans were complaining that we didn't get really any of those, not just last year, but in recent years in general. And having a keeper like Koble, I mean, God, the saves he makes, it, he is an incredible talent, too. And, and the same way also that Schlotterbeck is, you know, oozes charisma and, and, and uh, just gets all the fans behind him. And Koble's the exact same way, man. I mean, he is always just, you know, veins popping out of his neck every save he makes and screaming at the fans. So, Love to see it too. Very vocal keeper. That's that's that can be a bit of a luxury. So I called it. I called it during our preview. I said Koble's not letting anything in. That's you know what you did call the clean sheet last week. I forgot about that. That's impressive. That is. I'm pretty sure no one called the clean sheet, but (laughs) there you are. Well, after I said that, we did go. We did also talk about how I think step one is to not conceding the the early goal, which is our style. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Usually, you don't want to concede ten seconds into the season or so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, okay, so well, we're already 42 minutes in. That's crazy. Um, so <laughs> previewing in for Freiburg. Wait, what? I'm, I'm sorry. I don't care about your time constraints. We have to talk about <laughs> a, all the other chances that Dortmund had. Sure. Because Marco Royce wasted one. That. Uh, <laughs> well, what else is new? <laughs> that, that we should discuss a little, but not really. But uh, Bellingham also had a really good shot mm-hmm. uh, right after the Hoots Monster tackle when we talk about all the chances that Leverkusen supposedly had. We also need to talk about Marius Wolf, who really hit a thunderbolt. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. That was pretty close. And Jude Bellingham had another two chances. In the final five minutes, one where he was fouled at the edge of the box by Aranguiz, mm-hmm. which wasn't for whatever reason called, where he got clipped. And then he had another deflected shot. And then, obviously, uh, Marco Royce had a free kick in yeah. the end, which yeah. he obviously missed on purpose, because that means Hadetsky will get suspended for one extra game. And you wouldn't wanted to already move on to the Freiburg game, but I just saved <laughs> you here, because we need to talk about that red card. Jake, on a level of 1 to 10, how dumb was it what Hadetsky did there? <laughs> And, what for, are you going and for context, and for context, he did not know the rule that he would be sent off for it. Yeah, he was looking pretty confused whenever he did get sent off there. Which oh, was, the, yeah, yeah, the, the handle. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, like I was completely Doc lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are you saying he missed it so that he missed it on purpose to the yeah, right, free he, kick? I, I yeah. think he tried to score, but I'm just trying to make him look. Better. I don't, I don't <laughs> get, I don't get how you don't keep that down. I mean, it, that one, and also the the chance that he had early on in the first half too. It's just, it's. It's crazy that Royce is a player that can just score these phenomenal goals from insane angles and goals in general that are just so incredibly difficult, if not impossible to score. But then he just misses absolute sitters like the the two that he had against Leverkusen. I mean, at the very least at that free kick, surely if someone of that ability and a professional like Royce who's you know been at this kind of level for how long now, he, he can't just put that on tar. And I know it's easier said than done, but... You could just put that on target because you have someone who goal who's in goal who's what? I, I imagine that that player has never played goal before. If you know, put the gloves on at the end of a training session for five minutes, and that instantly is you know that's that's Leverkusen's nerves that are ramping through the roof, and that could just be an easy tap in, like we were saying earlier of you know uh, shots that lead to another shot. Yeah, and, and in that situation, if that guy has played goal in training, which I doubt he has, you're not put put in that kind of high pressure situation. So. Yeah, I mean, Royce puts that on target. I, the commentators were saying it, everyone was saying it, it's like, this This is a goal, because you just got to... Who was that angle? Was it Tapsoba? I forget. Yeah. Okay, Tapsoba that's, that's what I thought. Goal. But I was actively rooting against Royce, because I know the rule that if you get set off for uh, for um, taking away a clear and obvious goal-scoring opportunity, and then the ensuing 
free kick or a penalty will not result in a goal, then you will usually get another extra game of suspension. So it might now be three games instead of two. So while it would have been nice for the Lulz, at the same time, uh, damaging Leverkusen even further uh, is what Dortmund need to do. So let's sabotage that. I had no idea about that rule. That yeah, the, rule about the other uh, extended suspension. That's crazy. Wow, well, you're a bunch of Chadetskis. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's what we're gonna change the name of the show to. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> that uh, okay. Him him grabbing the ball though outside of the box. I think that was just one of those scenarios where. Like it, you almost revert to like that's something you do as a kid. We're like, oh no, I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. leaning over. I'm like, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you because mm-hmm. I'm still in the line. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, yeah, he was looking we, pretty confused walking off there. <laughs> I, I love that Eden Tasic was immediately in the face of the fourth yeah. official <laughs> after it happened. That there, you know, wasn't a little bit of finger pointing or something. No, he was right in his grill and was demanding the review, and it came promptly. So uh, yeah. kudos. It's it's pretty Klopp esque in that sense of like the the famous GIF of of Klopp just yeah, like it getting wasn't quite Napoli, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and then also just that that Wolf shot was crazy too. I don't I didn't even know he had something like that in his arsenal. I mean, he's had some decent goals here and there, but I had nothing of that uh, venom. And and I know it wasn't on target, but it wasn't too far off either. That would have been one of the goals of the season on match day one. Yeah, we probably need to quickly just mention that when. Uh, Tessic switched to that back five with uh, Wolf as a left wing back, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you had uh, John in the back three um, that threw Leverkusen off to the extent that in the final 10 minutes or whatever, after that last offside goal that they scored, um, they had nothing. They had nothing left. Uh, they looked pretty tired as it was, but they had so many attackers out there and they could not get anything going. So another credit to Tessic and the coaching, because I thought that tactical move late in the game actually really helped Dortmund, uh, you know, close it out, even though they did not add a second goal where, you know, there were a couple of counter-attacking moments where they probably could have, should have capitalized a little bit more. But uh, still, more importantly is that you uh, keep Leverkusen far away from your goal. And uh, as a final thought, that made me also very happy. Yeah, I feel like that's something we didn't see last season. That's something at least Carver and I talked about a lot is us being confused on what the tactics are and it looks like we're just going out there with no tactics at all and maybe the injuries played into it because you just got to deal with what you at, got. At, but least, it's like, at least in defense. I mean, we had yeah. we had like some ideas here and there going forward, but when it came to, you know, towards the end of the game, really uh, grinding down or holding down and, and trying to grind out a result, it, it just looked pretty much non-existent. And to see, like, I, I think in-game shifting in, in tactics, too. It seemed yeah. like we saw, lot, we saw lot, formations lot. move around, mm-hmm. but we d- it didn't seem necessarily like that Like that was the plan going into it. That wasn't like, oh, this isn't working, so let's change this. Let's move this around. And it was all, like last year, too, a lot of useless subs. You know, 88th, 89th minute, just things were just like, we're bringing in a center back whenever we, you know, need however many goals. Interesting. <laughs> I just love how we distract us crawl out of our holes after literally one game. <laughs> it's not at all premature to say all these things. <laughs> yeah. We're winning the league. <laughs> edit, delete that out. Yeah. Although I think I said that in the summer. I don't know. Well, okay. I will, on a realistic note, as far as me being, me a little down on this game and probably other people watching this game be like, oh, maybe it wasn't as much as what I hoped for. Like maybe we wanted to bang in a few more goals and maybe people... People might not think we created as many chances as we should have had. 
Um, I'm glad you you mentioned that. Like it's going to take time to work into it. But I think coming off this summer, where we saw so many changes, we saw so many signings that it like we were just on such this high. It's like all right, we're humbled a little bit, but we yeah. still got a good result. But we do need to be realistic. Like with a ton of new people coming in, that's and and Terzic taking over. Like that's a lot of change, and it is going to take some. Like not everything is going to click immediately in one preseason. Like it's going to take time. So. Thank you for mentioning that. But also, there's an emphasis shift, you know, on on being more defensively resolute. So I think the balance is just a little bit different. So I don't expect Dortmund uh, to be as dominant on the ball because, as I said at the outset, Dortmund's football is a little bit more purposeful. So there will be also more direct, hence uh, a drop of possession. Also, so maybe if you are looking for the optical dominance that Dortmund so often have. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit less of that and games will feel, because of that, way more intense because the Leverkusen game at at points, also because of the many fouls, did not have the best flow, did not have yeah. the best rhythm. So there are many reasons why you would think that uh, maybe Dortmund did not have the best performance. And also all the chances that I just counted, uh, I feel like minus the Hazard chance, which was, you know, should have been a slam dunk really, um, they they all felt a little bit like half chances or whatnot, but uh, nevertheless, they, they still did exist and Dortmund did still create a lot of chances. I feel like also in the final 10 minutes uh, when they had counterattacking opportunities uh, that did not go as smoothly as, pos- as as it could. That's just because it's the start of the season in these games, unless you're Bayern Munich, are always a bit sketchy. And if there's one thing that I think we are seeing a, a really good foundation for that we will continue to see moving forward is the mentality. I mean, how many years now or have we been saying that this team has been lacking like an identity and a mentality? And I think we're this is the squad that, you know, not just Kale, but uh, in the last year or so, uh, our sporting directors have brought in the players with that right mentality that not only want to be here and, and build things here, but... Uh, want to hold other people accountable around them. Schlotterbeck has mentioned in interviews before that he holds people around him accountable, and he certainly holds himself accountable for his performances. So I think the mentality is definitely there in that sense. Yeah, but now we obviously have to wait and see how this translates from a super vibrant Westfalenstadion to the away ground, like, for example, the Freiburg Stadium. I don't, I've forgotten what it's called. Something Europa Arena, whatever the hell. Europa Park Stadion, yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> how how are you feeling about that game? Because I was mentioning in our summer preview uh, that I think Freiburg made some, uh, had some pretty good business this year. I mean, I think they had like pretty much just as many signings as we had, not near to the uh, quality, but I mean, didn't spend that much money. A lot of free transfers, uh, Gregorischt. Also, he's got one goal and one assist in his uh, his debut last Proven week. Dortmund killer. Yeah. Michael Gregoritsch. Yeah, he just... Uh, Freiburg obviously took down Augsburg for nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, two of their new signings scored, if I uh, have it right. I think, obviously... Uh, no, no, actually, three of their new signings scored because Rizzo Dorn is also new. So, Matthias Ginter scored and uh, Michael Gregoritsch. Did Ginter who, score? Did, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, wow. he had a nice volley. So, um, I think they... I'm not entirely sure. I only watched highlights if it were three or four set-piece goals, but uh, pretty much uh, all of that uh, came from a set-piece or sort of the ensuing phase of a set-piece, I think. Uh-oh, don't say that. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're no, pretty, be- pretty piss-poor. The uh, for the Freiburg game is set-pieces yeah. and how Dortmund will defend against uh, the team that is the best set-piece scoring team in the Bundesliga and have uh, continued right where they left off. Yeah, and I, I noticed... Um, 
at just on small few occasions against Leverkusen, we are a little slow to react and organizing ourselves for defending set pieces. So I hope we can kind of clean up that act in the sense against a team like Freiburg, who are dangerous on those set pieces as well. I mean, Ginter's Ginter's someone who can be definitely dangerous in the air. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I wonder, I wonder how, if, if we're going to be able to come out on top of this one away, I, we got, we got beat pretty bad last time too, or uh, away, uh, uh, Freiburg last year. So does anybody have any score predictions or predictions that they're going to see on the field? I think it, it might be a one-all game to be honest, yeah. because I think it's going to be super tight and super close because Freiburg already look very organized. They have their shit together really under Streich and, uh, I had to say this, but uh, Christian Streich, after being shellacked by Dortmund pretty much uh, all the time, he has sort of now figured it out. Yeah, He has realized that uh, he needs to <laughs> drop possession levels to, I don't know, the 40 percentile or so and uh, just sit back and uh, wait for the counterattacking opportunities that will inevitably become, uh, come. And then, of course, you have to, um, you know, win corner kicks and free kicks. Especially, you know, Vincenzo Grifo is always a threat. He already scored an absolute peach of a free kick against Augsburg. So <laughs> I really hope that the law of averages just uh, dictate that he's not going to score against Dortmund. Then, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm always terrified about Freiburg because they have done so much good business, and um, you know, Ritzo Dorn from from Bielefeld is is an awesome playmaker. Matthias Ginter is a very experienced uh, player and he fits right into their system and uh, yeah they just know how to uh, prevent high quality shots how to shut down chances so um, I really do hope that Adiemi will become fit miraculously which I'm not entirely sure he will because uh, Dortmund will need his pace to beat Freiburg's defenders I was just thinking that exact same thing too I wonder if Adiemi and Sule are going to be back because Sule had the you know the classic Sule is not going to be back Oh, perfect. Because I know he had like the classic, you know, two weeks or whatever, quote unquote. And uh, no, he he said, I think he was interviewed while he was in the stands uh, at the uh, recent game. And uh, he said that he's aiming for the Bremen game. Okay. Okay. Hey. <laughs> Watch the BVB update. <laughs> come on, come on. Yeah, I, I imagine it's obviously going to be a very close game as well. I, I can imagine a tie coming out of this. Lots of goals, maybe. Jake? I I don't want to predict a nothing but a win, so I'm just gonna go. I'll I'll he's say the optimist. He's grind on a one zero win. I you can't you can't get past. Kobo. You're gonna do he's another not, clean sheet. Yeah, he's not. Goal's not letting anything in. <laughs> say it again. I'm going. I'm going to two two. Stefan. Yeah, I, I mean, if I really have to give a prediction, I'm gonna say two to one to Dortmund. Okay, cool. Because I also feel like, as fairy tales go, there must be a Mundest late. Header that just kills Mark Flecken somehow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's that's sort of what I'm hoping for. Um, obviously, hoping for I'm to like five nothing win where Dortmund just cruise from the first minute, but uh, that's uh, not realistic. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm I'm quite terrified because they have a really good um, you know uh, base or foundation. I mean, just if you look at the Midfield of uh, Eggestein and, and Höfler, very yeah. strong. Philipp Lienhardt is uh, also a really capable centre-back next to Matthias Ginter and uh, Sildia and uh, Christian Günther. Their full-backs um, are two-way players, as they say in the NBA, that they can attack and defend. Um, so overall, 
we are looking at a very balanced Freiburg team that have very few weaknesses. Um, overall, they might not have the highest individual quality, but uh, they have a coach who knows um, how to put it all together. So um, this is obviously one of the toughest games of the season Freiburg away always is. So if Dortmund can even get a point out of there, honestly, I think if you're realistic, this is already a good result for Dortmund. Um, obviously, um, if that would be the case, there would already chaos and panic in the German media about the title race and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, Dortmund are still a work in progress. Yeah, well said. Well said, Jake. Any you final thoughts on Freiburg? Um, well, I was going to ask if Adeyemi is out, you think, Hazard yeah. uh, just comes into that spot since we saw him sub in. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say so. And then, do you know, is Oschan ready? Is he ready to go? Because I was just I forget, on yeah. Dortmund's mm, font mob and he I'm, didn't show up as an injured player. Unlikely. Um, right. Yeah, also Giorena was in the, um, in the bench. They, yeah. they put him on as the like... Bench. They yeah. made him the, the highlight player on the graphic when he was starting yeah. on the bench, which, I mean, I was hyped about it, but then I was like, <laughs> oh, no, he's not starting. Yeah. Oh, on, on him, though, I was going to ask, too, do you think where he's, like, there's a chance he'll play out wide on, on as one of the wings, or are they, I've seen just so much about him being the backup to Marco Royce now, so yeah. where do you think yeah, see him playing? Yeah, obviously he will yeah. also play out wide on the wings. Yeah. He's, he's such a versatile player. Mm-hmm. He will pretty much cover any position in Dortmund's attack plus uh, the number eight this season i'm i'm pretty convinced of it but first he needs to uh restore to full fitness which is still a bit of a process so i'm i'm wondering if he's already far enough for him to actually also make the trip to freiburg because it's one thing to be included uh on the in the match day squad where you can pretty much put any player on the bench but um the good news is that dortmund will have jamie bino gittens back yeah and i think he is a difference maker we saw it against uh, hertha in that last game of last season that he basically when he came on at halftime turned it around pretty much by himself <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and uh, that's that's already positive um, on Özcan it's difficult because as Kiel said he had a very patchy preseason he missed the entire training camp in Switzerland and so I'm not really holding my breath um, he did the warm-up today and then pr- uh, proceeded to train individually so since it's Tuesday and the game is on Friday I would probably say he is not going to feature and if he is it's probably just like a 5-10 minute cameo just to get a feel for things but um, yeah uh, it's difficult and when it comes to Adeyemi, Kiel was a little bit more hopeful where he said uh, you know obviously it's no structural damage and uh, he can maybe pick up training again tomorrow or Thursday and since uh, he is you know fit enough if he is pain free on Thursday, then I'm pretty sure he will be playing on Friday. I hope Hopefully. Hazard can. Yeah. I hope Hazard can come and prove a lot of fans, including me, wrong. Because he, I mean, he had some moments here and there, and I'm not even talking about the miss he had, but just the the way he attacks at times is just kind of just getting the ball, putting his head down, and like running straight at a defender, not having any ideas. Uh, is just I don't really understand how we're going to be able to. I guess be at the level that we want to be at with um, a man like him at an attack if he's not going to improve. Um, but yeah, like you said, Stefan, we don't really have many other options here at the moment. At least second start for and play for a whole 90 minutes. He did surprise me. Hazard, when he came on, Hazard looked a lot better than what I was expecting. Yeah. I thought he had some good recoveries and things. I mean, he, he tracked back well at times, but. Uh, before we go, do you have time for just a few uh, Twitter questions? Yeah. However long you want. <laughs> awesome. Just just fit out all the silly questions and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we weren't going to do because we had a lot on our Twitter. Thank you for uh, 
everyone who uh, was participating in that. But first one from Varley Ray Jepsen, keep hilarious on the screen. I'm like, keep double taking. <laughs> like, what is happening? Right uh, they ask, what does the third captaincy to Bellingham mean? Should we be emotionally preparing to lose him, or perhaps he might stay longer? I'm prepared. I'm- yeah, I'm prepared to emotionally to lose Bellingham, but I don't care how much emotional preparation there is. <laughs> I'm not going to be a happy camper on that day <laughs> because it is painfully obvious to everyone, <laughs> including uh, the uh, questionnaire, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> that obviously Bellingham is the absolute pivot in our system and uh, maybe even becoming the heart and soul of Borussia Dortmund. And the, the fact that he's already uh, ranking third in the captaincy um, means a lot and I think he is uh, becoming even better this season but at the same time I, you know I've watched so many Dortmund talents over the last decade um, including Jane Sancho by the way who mm-hmm. was struggling at Manchester United and in that way I would say it makes more sense for Bellingham if we're really honest um, to extend his contract and play at least one more season after this um, for him to really mature into the player that he needs to be when he makes a big money move to the Premier League or wherever, because then the expectation is just going to be different. Um, but, uh, you know, I I really hate talking about Bellingham in that context because um, he's bringing so much positivity and so much reliability that I do not want to think about the time when he is no longer at Dortmund because this is going to be a bitch to replace yeah. him. Yeah. And and also, you know, the captaincy means a lot to him as well. He says, and I don't know how many interviews now that he's like, I'm just focused on being a leader here. I, I want to, I, you know, even though other people were asking him, he's he's wanting to lead these new young players that are coming in, especially players like Jamie Vinyl Gittens, and uh, just build a foundation here. And, and he's only been here a few years, but everyone just, like you were saying, it thinks of him as, you know, becoming the heart and soul of the team. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna hop with you guys and say yeah I'm I'm emotionally preparing as well but uh, fingers crossed I guess. <laughs> um, second one here is from Zaheen, our good friend on Twitter. He's saying, "Are we putting too high? <laughs> yep, yep. Are we putting too high expectations for Terzic with all these new signings?" And uh, I don't know what his expectations are, so we can't answer that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we kind of answered it earlier as far as. Well, yeah, I was thinking, I think the expectations, if I'm, I mean, from what I'm thinking are, it's, it's not really solely just like on, on how, uh, or where we place in the table or anything like that, but just as much as we're, the board was trusting Terzic to, you know, build a foundation of, of letting the players gel together, bring some togetherness, some team spirit and build some real chemistry within the team. So it's not just a squad of individuals, but an actual team. And I think that's the expectation rather than, is he the manager that's going to bring us all this glory, you know? Well, if you approach it that way, then I would say actually then it's justified yeah. because this is what Borussia Dortmund actually should expect. This is what they should expect to build. You know, even if they do not uh, win the championship um, because there are obviously other clubs that are doing a much better job with, with much more resources. Um, that being said, I, I still think um, having a cohesive unit on the field and players that just give their all to defend their own goal and to attack whenever they get the chance um, should be the status quo for Dortmund. And uh, everything else in my book is underperformance. And I think, honestly, Ilan Tessic is probably the best shot at this 
um, together with Kiel. Um, I'm personally also very, um, yeah, I would say positive on on uh, where this is all going right now. Um, obviously, you never know how I will talk about it in September. But for now, um, I think it is justified to have these expectations because, quite frankly, this is what Borussia Dortmund are expecting of themselves. Yep, well said. And then last one here. Uh, we're just I just kind of blended a few different questions together because they kind of sounded like the same thing and we touched on it already. But what does a successful development path for Mukoko look like? Will Modest be the main man for us, causing Mukoko to take another back seat? Or uh, has he convinced us fans so far um, that he can maybe be the man for the job here going forward? Man, I really would love to revisit that sort of question in a month because we had so little <laughs> yeah. to see with Mokoko. But um, I think, honestly, uh, he is already improved to whatever he was last season. You know, we've talked about him, how he held off uh, the defender. Um, obviously, you know, he looks very desperate to score right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, there is still a lot to learn for him, but... Um, especially his off-the-ball movement and the way he presses opponents and the way mm -hmm. he's hunting opponents mm -hmm. right now, which he did against Leverkusen, because we did talk about a cohesive pressive and Mokoko at 17 years old was part of that system and it did work out and it looked good. So that being said, I think um, that is the reason why I think he will play a lot and feature a lot because um, I don't think that Modest can replicate the same amount of pressing um, but the the other argument in my head is that Eden Tessic also really wanted the high profile, uh, or not high profile, but the number nine that yeah. is uh, tall and up front and uh, you can operate with half field crosses and have the anchor and whatnot. So there's a good chance that maybe they play off each other. Um, but, uh, you know, I the, the short answer is I don't know for sure. <laughs> That's what I was going to touch on kind of at the end is I feel like they might, he or Terzik might experience, experiment, excuse me, at times of having them play off each other because Mukoko can learn a lot from a Bundesliga veteran like Modest and, um, you know, just improve on different aspects of his game that aren't his strengths at the moment, which some you've already mentioned. And I think he's going to be, uh, in a way, a, a pretty solid role model for someone like Mukoko uh, for this next year. And then hopefully if Haller comes back healthy, he can be another role model for Mukoko and help him uh, bring him into that you know, the development path that we want him to be on and extend and then, you know, hopefully be the striker that uh, can be a Bruson for years to come. Well, one big question about Mukoko really is, mm. is he going to extend? And mm. his, I think he's advised by his own father and they are asking also for a lot of money. Um, so this might not happen. There's a good chance that it doesn't happen. And uh, what the off the field, um, you know, shenanigans then will be, um, I do not know. So there is obviously a very good chance that he just loses his head a little bit yeah. this season. So um, it's it's a really tricky situation because, uh, you know, there are so many variables. So I, I personally can't really answer that question. And of course, um, no one really knows what his ceiling is also. You know, yeah. he could uh, step into another gear very easily, but he could also stagnate. Yeah, it, it, I wonder how he's going to mature mentally because he looks like on the field and, and physically he's, he's been learning a lot about his game, but at times he's still very much looking like a teenager. Yeah. I think it's like he I, is. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but you know, compared to someone like Jude, I was saying. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd said it before and I think I got some backlash for it, but like he just needs to go out on loan, I think. Yeah. Put him on loan somewhere, like a team that 
will 100% use him and, and let him be that guy because it seems like we don't necessarily want to give him that chance yet. Yeah, um, I yeah, would put it, him, uh, I would loan him out to Gladbach. That would, I think, be a good fit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a team that can still compete at uh, a pretty competitive level. Absolutely. Yeah, not only that, but Gladbach also um, could use a player like him because they're also a very dominant team, at least mm-hmm. in theory. That's what they want to play. So I think Gladbach's playing style because it doesn't often hinge on uh, the hold-up player up front uh, because they also do like players like Lashdenel or whatnot. Um, to me, that would theoretically make sense. But again, if you want to loan him out, he needs to <laughs> want to be loaned out, and uh, for that, he also needs to extend Stand, his contract. Yeah, first. yeah, yeah. And and Farka is is pretty good at a. I mean, he's produced a lot of young talent at Norwich too. So I feel like he'd be someone that would be happy to play Mukoko in his yeah, system. I'm not entirely sure if Farka and Mukoko have crossed paths at Dortmund at some point or not. So I can't tell mm, you that. But question. There might be a chance. Yeah. All right, yeah, so uh, Dortmund uh, at Freiburg this Friday. Uh, we got some Friday night football, Friday afternoon football. Yeah, I'm going to have to put a pause on work so I can watch the game. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so kickoff 2.30 Eastern time. And it's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. We had the, the benefit of, uh, it was on ES, I guess ESPN+, Plus and Big ABC yeah, on yeah. the last game, which was cool because there was a, actually like a, a halftime show yeah. um, that I didn't really care for that much. But I was like, hey, that's cool that we get some. Yeah, uh, I walked the dog during halftime. So <laughs> <I'm not supposed laughs> At first I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, are they doing this for all the Bundesliga games? Then I remembered it was on ABC. And I was like, probably, yeah, probably, probably not. not. Um, but yeah, so uh, Dorman this Friday. St- Stefan, thank you so much for joining us again. Yes, thank you. Big fan. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, I really hope I didn't draw it out too long by talking about no. the BFB update for one and a half hours. <laughs> uh, when again is your and you're going to have a BFB uh, an update tomorrow today? Uh, every episode, every day. Sorry, out uh, tomorrow probably not because uh, I'm starting to go on vacation now. So my wife and I are going to drive up to Cape Cod. Oh, but nice. uh, yeah, lastly, I just want to say you guys are doing a really fantastic job, and I enjoy listening to it. It's it's such a beauty to not have to listen to grumpy Lars and myself all the time. <laughs> and uh, so I'm really glad you you guys uh, have started this. Uh, it's also nice to have, uh, you know, other B4B podcasts like uh, Belief in uh, B4B, mm-hmm. I think it's called, uh, from uh, yeah. Tilo. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. or Tino. He's, either way, he's doing also a very cool job. So um, this is this is good. Uh, it's, it's nice to see a growing community of... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to call it content creators, but uh, practically that is what we are. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I enjoy it. So uh, this this is already a, a bummer for me that I will not be able to listen to the B4B pod now and not be on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, and we'll link all of uh, yeah. all of your stuff, the yellow wall and the, the update for everyone to check out and your website, which... I got to plug our website. Very subtle launch that we launched a website last week. It was very subtle because we weren't sure if it was going to be ready. Um, and then it was by the time we put out the episode. So uh, if you, typically I would give out all our links to everything. But if you want to find us anywhere, just go to the bvbpodcast.com. You can find out where to listen to us. You can follow us on socials and leave us a review if you want to, because yep. that'd be great too. And go watch everything for Stefan so that he can yes, have money and take absolutely. more vacations. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, as always, thank you everyone out there for listening. Awesome. Well, yeah, we'll be back uh, next week. Thanks for hanging out, guys.